You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. Our scripture today is from Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19. If you're reading in the Blue Bible, it's on page 527. Please read the word with me. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. From their feet, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Good morning, church. Let us pray and seek God's help that we would understand this text and be able to live wisely. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have given us this word. Thank you that you have come to this earth to give us hope. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our ears and our hearts, that we would hear from you. Help us, please, to know you better. Help us, please, to live wisely as we read and as we study this text together. And it's in Christ's name we pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text today begins... Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. The context here is a mother and a father seeking to instruct their young son. The topic that we will be looking at today is, and the chapters that are coming, uh, speak of a son who is on the doorstep of adulthood. He's at the place where he is going to be forced to take a stand in many different places, many different issues that are going to assail him. His parents want to instruct him. They are seeking to know, will he reject the ways of the world? Will he seek the ways of the Lord? In this and the coming passages, real life situations are put in front of the sun with conflicting worldviews making their appeal towards him. He must make choices. The pressures of life are going to force his hand, and he will have to choose between wisdom and folly, between godliness and counterfeit good, between fleeting worldly pleasures and true satisfaction. His parents know that life circumstances will present situations where he will be forced to choose between wisdom and folly. They're bringing their wisdom to him and seeking to persuade him to heed their warnings 
and to take their advice. In verse 9 we read, starting in verse 8 again though, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So these two, there are two key words here, graceful garland and pendant. A graceful garland here most likely refers to a twisted wreath that would be placed on the head of someone to signify victory, vindication over enemies, It's placed on the head to signify power and life, glory and honor. This is the victor's crown. And the father here is saying that his instruction and his mother's teaching, they are a graceful garland. If you will heed these things, this will be your victor's crown. The pendant that it talks about, this is likely understood as a symbol of guidance and protection. If you will heed, if you will listen to your father's instruction, if you will listen to your mother's teaching, these will be a guide for you. The effect is that the father is trying to persuade his son. The time has passed when the son can be corrected with the rod. The son has grown. He is an adolescent. He is on the doorstep of adulthood. He is at an age when he is going to be choosing his own paths and the father here is telling him of the very great rewards that will come if his son will choose to take heart his father's instruction and his mother's teaching. We see similar ideas uh, but explained even a little further in Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's commandment And forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The father and the mother know through their own experiences and having seen the ways of wisdom and folly play themselves out over the years of their lives, they know that their son is in a precarious position. He's in a time of transition. Adolescence is a time of trying to figure out who one is. Young people are discerning and they're trying to decide, who am I? They're trying to figure out What is my identity? And at this age, young men and young women are rightly no longer content to act basically as an extension of their parents. God has created them uniquely and they are going to have their own paths. And a son is going to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Young people are asking questions like, what are the characteristics of family life? that I want to retain? Which ones do I want to change? In what ways am I similar to my parents? In what ways am I different? Am I sensitive like my mother? Am I stubborn like my father? Am I artistic like neither one of them? With all of these concerns and questions swirling around in a young person's mind, the father and mother focus on a question 
of whether or not their son will walk in the ways of wisdom or folly. And they are at pains to tell him of the joys of wisdom and the tragic sorrows of folly. They want their son to walk in the ancient paths. They are passing on the traditions written hundreds of years ago in Deuteronomy. If we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find this. And this, I think, is what the proverb writer, as he speaks as a father, this is what he is trying to do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The son is at an age now when he will be deciding whether to listen to the wisdom of his parents as handed down through the generations of the community of faith or if he will go with his peers who are seeking unjust gain. Will he love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might or will he love money? Verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So this is the general idea. There is a battle for the son's soul. The wisdom, wisdom is what the parents are trying to persuade him to follow. The path of godly wisdom. Sinners are trying to persuade him as well. Sinners would like to persuade him to follow their path. There is a contrast here. There is not a third way. Will the son follow the sinners into their paths or will he follow his parents in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge? The specific application of this battle, as his parents are trying to persuade him, begins in verse 11. The father says, If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let's read through verse 14. If they say, come with us, lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. The temptation here has to do with how the young man will engage himself. So try to put yourself into the shoes of a young man in ancient Israel. Occupations were often handed down from one generation to the next. Most people lived off the land, and so sons learned to be farmers or herdsmen as their fathers were. Others might have learned a skilled trade. Farming, keeping animals, and the tradesmen that were dependent on that agrarian culture, these were jobs that were hard they were filled with hard work and often with uncertainty. Drought, floods, insects, infestations of blight, mold, these things all wreak havoc on farmers. Subsistence farming is not glamorous. It is not filled with excitement. 
It is not filled with adventure, and it usually does not result in any kind of riches. It is not hard to imagine a young man wondering if there might be a different way. Is there a different path that I could pick that is not so wearisome, so toilsome, something that might be filled with a little more adventure, something that might be more lucrative? The father puts forward this potential situation. His son is approached by a gang and they say, come with us. And here we find the initial temptation. The desire for young people to feel like they fit in with their peers is strong. They want to have fellowship, brotherhood, sisterhood. They want to be welcomed by their peers. Just being invited is a strong temptation all on its own. The father further puts these words into the mouths of the gang members as they say, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. The father here is highlighting the wickedness of their proposition. Now, someone who's coming to the son would probably not so clearly explain the wickedness of what they're proposing, but the father here is highlighting the reality of this proposition. He's highlighting the reality that what they're proposing to you is wicked. They're lying in wait for innocent people. They act in ways that demonstrate a disdain for God and his word. They are not loving their neighbors. They are not seeking to keep God's commandments. Do not steal and do not murder. Their hearts are far from God. And the Father is highlighting that here. In verse 12, we see a continuation of this invitation by the gang. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, and whole like those who go down to the pit. This is power. Power to take like the grave takes. When the grave takes, the grave takes all. So too, the gang takes, and when it takes, it takes all. The grave is not beholden to anyone and is not powerless against anything. It takes, and it takes completely. The son here is being tempted with power, the power to be able to have a, a voice, a choice over your own fate, not to be at the whims of the weather and the insects and the blight and the mold. We see then in verse 13, he continues, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. This is the temptation of wealth. They will fill their houses with plunder, with all manner of precious goods. Imagine the thought of wealth for someone who's grown up as a subsistence farmer, for someone who's known nothing but wearisome toil and meager wages to show for it. Imagine the idea of money in abundance, more money than he knows what to do with. This is a great temptation. Verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. This highlights the temptation of brotherhood, camaraderie, the sense of a group banding together. They have each other's back. Everyone has a desire for a sense of belonging. And here the father is highlighting the idea of a common purse as the uniting principle for this band of brothers. They shall ambush together. They shall share in the spoils together. Verses 11 through 14 warn of real temptation for a young man to join a gang. They offer power instead of powerlessness. They offer great wealth, riches beyond what he could even imagine. 
They offer a sense of belonging, brotherhood, where they share all things in common. These all feed into the impulses of a young person on the edge of adulthood. These temptations are real. This is the kind of reality that Jesus was speaking about when he began a parable with these words from Luke 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is the kind of thing that the father is worried about, that his son might fall in to this kind of a gang. For some of us, we might think that the Bible is an ancient book and that much of what it talks about is outdated. It's old. It's 3,000 years removed from what we deal with today. But if we look at gangs in the U.S., this is not far-fetched. This is not far-flung, and the human heart changes little over the course of time. Looking at uh, numbers from the U.S. government, there are still more than 30,000 gangs in the United States that are active today. They consist of approximately one million members. Gangs are present in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and all U.S. territories. There are, of course, gangs that are active here in Minneapolis. This is not just an ancient issue. This is one that is common to the past 3,000 years of human history. The temptations were real then and they are real now. That is why the father and the mother must now implore their children to choose wisdom. Verses 15 through 18, the father is imploring his son not to consent to the sinful group as he did in verse 10 and so he does again in verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. He is imploring his son not to follow the sinful path. Again, the father is using persuasion. He's trying to use reason. The time is gone when he can use the rod. The son is on the verge of adulthood. He is going to be making his own decisions. Verse 16, the father is starting to give reasons for this admonition. He says, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. The son has to decide, does he want to run with a crowd that runs toward evil? Is this the kind of life that he really wants? These are ones who make haste to shed blood. Does he want to stand in opposition to God and his ways? Does he want to stand in opposition to the love of neighbor? Verse 17, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of a bird. Verse 17 has a bit of an ambiguous Hebrew construction here. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to understand and can be difficult to translate. I think if we look at verse 18 for context, it will help us here. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. So in the context here, the birds being caught in the net serve as an illustration for what the father is talking about in terms of these gang members and what will be their end. It is not likely that birds are being given as a contrast as birds are generally not clever. Birds are not usually very wise. Even if they see a man spreading a net, 
it is not likely that it will keep them from going for the food that is on top of the net. They cannot see how they are stepping into an ambush. This is made even a little more clear, I think, by something of a wooden translation of this verse. It could also be read, for no good reason is strewn the net in the eyes of all possessors of wings. And the verb here translated spread in the ESV is used for things like spreading seeds, not for spreading a net. Thus, we can see and we can understand that in the eyes of birds, they see no good reason for the net. They don't observe the net. They're not aware of the net. They do not see the connection between the net and the food that they want. The food that they see, the food that is there that is free for the taking, they see not the net. And so too, this gang does not see the net that they have spread for themselves. They are no more intelligent than the birds they think they are lying in wait for the blood of others and they don't understand, they don't see that they are lying in wait for their own blood. They think that they are going to ambush the innocent and what they do not realize is that they are lying in wait in ambush for their own lives. The Father knows how it goes for those who use violence to get what they want, those who use violence to get what does not belong to them. The idiom, those who take the sword will die by the sword, is fitting here. When violence is the means that you and your brothers are going to use to get what you want, you must be ready. Violence is going to come back to you at some point. There might be a disagreement among this band of brothers. Violence is the way that they settle their matters. Turf wars between violent gangs may cause some to come to violent ends. And the justice system in any society is designed to put an end to criminals such as these. You can be sure that those who use violence for gain will be caught up in their own devices. They are truly lying in wait for their own blood. In verse 19, we see that the father concludes his advice about gangs with a universal principle. Not only in the case of gangs, but everyone who goes after unjust gain who seeks to go after wealth in an unjust manner will have their lives taken away by it. He says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Proverbs, Proverbs were written to help people have skill for living. Proverbs are not prophecy. Proverbs are also not promises. So, Will everyone who is a part of a gang die a violent and untimely death? Maybe not. In fact, probably not. But some of them will, and it should come as no surprise to anyone when they do. What about other types of unjust gain? What if the unjust gain is not necessarily violent? When the author gives this last admonition to the son, he's making the case that joining a gang is not the only way in which unjust gain might destroy his son. There are innumerable ways that people can go after wealth, that can go after gain in ways that are unjust, and they will reap the wards, rewards of injustice, or better yet, its consequences. Think of Achan during the time of Joshua. The Israelites were told that they would surely defeat the city of Jericho and that all the plunder was supposed to be burned. Achan, however, 
in the midst of the battle saw something that he liked. He saw something that was pleasing to the eye and he wanted it. And he grabbed and he took it. He took it with him into his tent. His greed was in direct rebellion against God. It was in direct disobedience against the very clear commands that were given before the battle began. His greed, his direct rebellion brought upon him and his family terrible consequences as they were put to death for so blatantly going after greed and disregarding a prophetic command from God. Achan was destroyed by unjust gain. Think of Judas Iscariot who betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27 reads, When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the 30 pieces into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. Judas was destroyed by unjust gain. These are just two illustrations of verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What about less extreme versions, perhaps, of going after unjust gain? We read in Exodus about the laws for people that steal others' animals. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. The punishment here is not physical death, but the application of Proverbs 119 fits perfectly here. Unjust gain takes away the life of those who possess it. You will not come out ahead. You will not gain greater happiness. You will not gain life by going after gain illegally, unjustly, immorally. It will cost you physically here in this life. Few are those who rob, steal, cheat, and are never caught. Almost no one is able to live a life of injustice, a life of immorality, of crime, and get away with it for their whole lives. There are consequences for these actions. The consequences are not life-giving, they are life-taking. Those who get money and possessions through crime will pay. The father wants to spare the son from these consequences. This also costs spiritually. Unjust gain demonstrates a lack of faith in the God who provides all that we need. It demonstrates a love for something more than God in this life. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Paul gives an admonition to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I believe that this makes clear how this proverb is true. 
Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This passage begins with a mother and a father imploring their young son to choose wisdom and to flee from folly, specifically to avoid unjust gain. The parents are passing down the wisdom that was handed to them as from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Parents, are you passing down this wisdom? Are you passing down the ancient ways? Are you using persuasion to help your young ones understand and see the great and wonderful benefits that come from living wisely? Are you using your persuasive powers to show them the destruction that comes from unjust gain? Children, are you willing to listen to the wisdom that has been handed down to us by God himself and presented to us in his word? Will you choose to live in biblical wisdom or will you follow the ways of this world? Young people are in a very difficult position. It is such a challenge. In this world that we live, there are so many things that can vie for our attention. So many things look pleasing. And here they are. They've gained much wisdom. They have grown. They're at the edge of adulthood. There are many things that they understand and yet, young people, even though there are many things you do understand and you have come to know much, will you not listen to wisdom of those who have lived 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years longer than you, who have seen what the end of the path looks like that you see only at the beginning? Will you listen to wisdom? What does unjust gain look like for us in our day? Gang membership is as alive today as it was 3,000 years ago when this passage was written. That is unjust gain. Shoplifting is a way that we can gain unjustly. Cheating on your taxes, claiming more deductions than you should really be allowed, misrepresenting your income on your application for Minnesota healthcare insurance. Is your company asking you to stretch the truth or bend the regulatory rules as you sell your products? as you try to sell your business? Do you have bonuses tied to performance that are tempting you to over-report your results? Tempting you to use different types of means in order to show that you have done more than you actually have? These are things that will not give greater life. They will take it. Let us not be those who are destroyed by unjust gain. So what do we do if we have not been perfect in this? Perhaps you might be shocked to know that there are people who serve you as elders here at Bethlehem Baptist, the North Church, <laughs> who are guilty and have done these things, who have shoplifted, who have stolen. That was a sin that I was guilty of. And so what do we do? What do we do if we're convicted of the love of money? What do we do if we have been unjust in our gain? We have no other place to go other than to the Lord Jesus, and he is the one who gives us hope. He has died. He has risen again from the dead that he might take our sins and that we can rise again with him. He is our rescuer from sin. Not only that, he transforms our desires. He helps us to pursue the things of life and not the temporal things of this earth that are going to pass away. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. 
He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Jesus sends his Spirit that he might make it known to us. We can have hope in this. This is not just do and do and do and do. This is trust. Trust that the Spirit will do what he says he will do. God gives his Spirit to help us so that we might be able to do what it says in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again from Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve two masters. If we serve the Lord our God, the love of money will fade away and we will not seek to serve that master. The way to truly avoid the destruction of unjust gain is to set our affections on God and to seek him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you give. We thank you that what you began even long ago in the Old Testament in giving us your words, the words of truth, the words of life, that these words are true today as they were the day that they were written. Would you give us, I pray, wisdom? Spirit, would you help us to see? Would you help us to know Would you help us to act in ways that are in accordance with what it is that Jesus has taught and commanded? Help us. We are weak. We are frail. So often we give in to temptations. We have temptations towards unjust gain. Would you help us? Help us please to be those who will seek you, who will seek you first and your kingdom. Help us to trust in you as the one who gives everything that we need. Help us to trust in you the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. In our times of temptation, you will be with us. So help us, we pray. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.